get your coffee or your bourbon or whatever or what have you, and let's get it going. So we are going to start when the Civil War was winding down. Uh, when the Civil War was winding down, President Lincoln uh, was cited was siding with a group known as the Radical Republicans. Um, the Radical Republicans were different from the anti-slavery crowd. Uh, you, you can refer to them as abolitionists. I mean, this included Frederick Douglass, include black people and white people in the Republican Party who didn't, didn't think it was enough just to give slaves their freedom. They also wanted to give them full rights. They wanted to give them suffrage, the right to vote. And they wanted to get to give them all that right now, right in that moment. Whereas others adopted more of a gradualist view because they feared upsetting people and reigniting the war. Um, Lincoln actually endorsed the formation of the Freedmen's Bureau. Uh, this was an office that was designed to help former slaves transition into a free life and help to set them up economically and otherwise. There's a lot of information on it. Now, I know Lincoln in general is kind of controversial with his views on race. I mean, there was a point in time where he wanted to help send black people back to Africa because he thought that would be better for them. But on the other hand, he also supported the Freedmen's Bureau, which didn't involve sending black people back to Africa. So it seems like he changed his mind a lot. I'm not sure where he ended up at the point when he died, but he, he's not, you know, for lack of a better term, it, it's not really a black and white history uh, with, with President Lincoln. So when I say things like the party of Lincoln or more accurately, the former party of Lincoln, I'm not talking about Lincoln per se. I'm talking about the people who existed under the time of Lincoln. Lincoln is the figurehead, but there were a lot of people who supported what he was doing and went even further than he did in wanting more for uh, freed slaves. That is the party that I'm talking about, and that is the party that I want to get back to. Not that black people are in slavery today, but they want they took their relationship with the black community after slavery was abolished. They took that relationship very, very, very seriously. They were all about black empowerment. They were about black excellence. They were about lifting black people up economically. Um, now, one of the reasons why the GOP's relationship with the black community at the time, it, it seemed like it would be short-lived. And uh, there is a reason for that, especially after Lincoln died. So his vice president was Andrew Johnson. And even though he was opposed to the Confederacy, it didn't mean that he was, you know, a fan of, of black people having any kind of rights. Um, so if you see... Here's a quote from Andrew Johnson. Um, and after Lincoln was killed, Andrew Johnson took over, like I said, and he was a virulent racist. He declared, this is a country for white men, and by God, as long as I'm president, it shall be a government by white men. Um, so there were, let's see. The Freedmen's Bureau, it was a relatively small agency that still existed under Andrew Johnson. He didn't really get rid of it because this is something that was set up under Lincoln before his death. And it was, it was a small federal agency, and it had about 900 different agents across the South. And they their job was to create procedures for contracts and rules between white landowners and their black workers or former slaves. 
and it was scheduled to exist for only one year after the war, but it could have been, re- but, but it could be renewed. And in January of 1866, the bill was passed pretty quickly. Um, it wasn't necessarily revolutionary, but it did kind of make it harder for white people to, to discriminate against former slaves. And the thing is, the Republicans thought that this bill, that the that President Andrew Johnson would endorse the bill. Um, so even though it went through Congress quickly, they were wrong about Andrew Johnson. Uh, he vetoed the bill. He also vetoed a Republican-sponsored bill to protect the rights of freed slaves. This measure would have declared that Black Americans were citizens of the United States and as such were entitled entitled to the rights and privileges that come with that status. Uh, Now, here's a good thing about it. Congress was able to override Andrew Johnson's veto. But imagine what it would have been like if they weren't able to do that. I mean, you'll see that it was already bad enough as it is. But if you were a freed slave and the Republican Party was wanted to be actively involved with helping you not only get your freedom, but to also set you up for prosperity. And then all of a sudden this gets struck down by the party that said that it wants to help you. It it could not have been easy to be living under that time, right? I mean, if you kind of imagine that, there were plenty of Republicans who wanted to help, but people like Andrew Johnson weren't so keen on the idea. Um, So, Here's a quote, and this quote comes from a book called The Republicans, A History of the Grand Old Party. It's written by uh, Lewis Gould. And he says, quote, although the Republicans came out of the war with the luster of victory and an indelible link to the memory of the martyred Abraham Lincoln, the dozen years from 1865 to 1877 proved fateful for the party. Their policies on Reconstruction left permanent changes in the Constitution as the 14th and 15th Amendments joined the 13th in defining the rights of former slaves under the law. However, the effort to create a viable Republican Party in the South, despite some initial successes, proved to be a transitory one. By 1877, the white Democratic South was on its way towards dominance in the region and the establishment of a one-party structure that would remain in place for 75 years. So what that is essentially saying is that what kind of set up this conflict is that after the war and right after Reconstruction, the Democratic Party established dominance over the South, and their dominance would last for 75 years. They had pretty much all control over it, but here's the thing. The the GOP wanted to become more of a national party. It didn't want to just represent just the North. They wanted to have inroads in the South as well, and that is where the trouble starts. Not necessarily that they wanted to gain inroads in the South, but it was the methods to which they resorted that became an issue. And that leads us into the Lily White movement, which is something that people talk about a lot. So what is the Lily White movement? So before I get into this, I'm just going to let you know, for this section, I'm going to be quoting from a book called Republicans and the Black Vote by Michael K. Fontroy. I've recommended this book before. It's in the show notes. And um I can actually put a link to where you can go buy it too. I didn't, I don't think I put that in there yet, but you have to get it from the publisher. You can't get it from Amazon or elsewhere, but I think it's only about 20, 25 bucks, but I would highly recommend picking that, that book up. A few of my followers have already done it. Very enlightening. So 
this, just to kind of sum up what the Lily White movement was, it was an effort that materialized in the Republican Party shortly after the end of Reconstruction. So we're talking like in the 1870s, 1880s. Um, it was made up of Republican leaders who resented the fact that the GOP continued to cultivate its relationship with the Black community. They felt that the GOP should focus more on courting white voters in the South, which became, which again, became heavily dominated by the Democratic Party. So, some of that should sound familiar. We've all heard of the Southern strategy, right? Which I'll be talking about in just a little bit. But the Southern strategy, is, in, in reality, it didn't start in the 60s and 70s. Started right after Reconstruction. So if you think about that, it only took about ten to fifteen years for the Republican Party to start making this move. Um, members of the Lily White movement in several Southern states began working to oust prominent Black leaders in the Republican Party and to deliberately alienate Black voters. This th this was a concerted effort to turn the GOP into a quote Lily White party that excluded minorities. Um, the, the, leg the legacy of this movement eventually culminated in the Black exodus from the, from the former party of Lincoln to FDR's Democratic Party, although it didn't necessarily end with FDR's Democratic Party. There was still a little bit of back and forth, which I'll explain later. Um, but what happened was after Reconstruction, after the Democrats got the South, um, Fontroy explains why they were able to, to gain the South. Uh, quote, Democrats were successful for two reasons. First, they made overt racial appeals to the considerable racist hostility and anxiety that existed among whites during that period. Second, Republicans responded to the new competition by mimicking Democrats in hopes that they would maintain control of Southern governments. The appeal was simple. Democrats charged that the Republican Party was the party of the Negro and that it had to be crushed in order to return the South to its pre-Reconstruction white supremacist roots. He continues, Fontroy continues, the perception that the GOP was too supportive of Black freedom and equality and its electoral implications became a political albatross for Republicans who began to fear being marginalized by the Democrats. So the GOP was afraid of being not not being able to, to attain power in the South because they were viewed as the party of Black Americans. By the way, I will be using the word Negro a lot in this presentation because of the writings back then that that was a common word. So hopefully you're not too offended by that. Don't think you will be. And I have the right to say it anyway. So, <laughs> um, so the Republicans, in an effort to make more inroads in the South, started imitating what the Democrats were doing appealing to white grievance, appealing to essentially to, to racism, to be blunt. And this allowed the party to start a shift. This allowed for the creation of the Lily White movement. Um, many Republicans were afraid that the label, the party of the Negro, would interfere with their efforts to take the party national and they decided to deal with this issue by pulling back from black members of the party. Now, remember, like I said previously, black people were very much intertwined with the direction of the party. They had a lot of control 
over where the Republican Party was going. Again, there were plenty of black leaders in the Republican Party. Frederick Douglass, for an example, Harriet Tubman became a leader in the the Republican Party. A lot of different black people did, um, especially ones who were elected to office. They were very much pushed by the party of Lincoln. But at this point, the Lily Whites came around and the shift created a schism that split Republican into two factions, the Lily Whites and the Black and Tans. And these two factions were warring against one another for control of the party. Um, unfortunately, at the, in the end, the Lily Whites got the upper hand. So to quote uh, Republicans in the, in, the black, in the black vote, quote, the Lily White faction represented white Republicans only, opposed to black political participation, and supported the return of segregation and white supremacy. It was the product of conservative racist ideology and the, quote, inherent demands and the customs of Southern lifestyles and occurred at a time when Republicans sought to expand their base of support into the South. It also emerged out of frustration with black control of many state Republican parties, as this short period of black control affected white access to patronage. And in many cases, Lily Whites worked with Democrats to to disenfranchise African-Americans. Now, I'm going to start right there and kind of explain what he's saying saying as far as conservatives go. And he seems to have a left-wing bent to this. So there's a few things that he says that I don't agree with. But there were multiple types of conservatives. Not all conservatives were racist back then. Um, But most of the racism at that time was in the South. And with the North, it could have been a little bit more hidden. It it still existed. Wasn't quite as brazen as it was in the South. But again, the Lily White faction was was capitalizing on white Southerners' grievances. Uh, whites in the South were afraid of losing control, especially those who were involved with the Republican Party, because as Fontroy just mentioned, there were Black people in charge of a lot of different state and local level Republican parties. Like I said, they were very much intertwined with the goings-on in the GOP. So the Lily... The, the conflict between the Lily Whites and the Black and Tans, which, by the way, the Black and Tans also included white people as well, but they didn't want their party to only be white. And this battle occurred in several southern states, uh, Texas, North Carolina, Louisiana. Um, most of the southern states had this conflict going on. And in, and in some cases, this conflict even lasted into the 60s. Um, but for this presentation, I'm going to focus on the one that occurred here where I am in Texas. And and the cool thing about this is that the Texas State Historical Association has kept records of this. So it's easy to find and kind of see the story of what happened. So, but I want you to view what happened in Texas as sort of a, um, sort of kind of a, a microcosm of what happened in other states as well. Because like I said, this was a huge political battle. Um, let me go ahead and, uh, one second. Okay. So what happened with the Texas Republican Party right after Reconstruction, right after Reconstruction ended, is a prime example of the battle for the soul of the party. And in Texas, it started when Edmund J. Davis was elected governor. Um, Put that up here. So again, these quotes are going to be from the Texas State Historical Association. And I have a link to that in the show notes, I believe. Yeah, let's do that one. I can see it better. Um, the election of Edmund J. Davis, a white radical, 
as governor in 1869 gave blacks additional influence, as did the election of two black state senators, G.T. Ruby and Matthew Gaines, a minister and former slave and 12 representatives to this 12th legislature. Um, so Edmund J. Davis was very much down with, with promoting the black community and trying to, you know, get freed slaves into a better position. Um, Reconstruction, here's another quote, uh, Reconstruction ended in 1873 with the defeat of Davis, an event hailed by a former governor as the restoration of white supremacy and democratic rule. The number of blacks in the legislature dropped and white Democrats be, began reestablishing control of Texas politics. Now, here's something that's interesting. The Texas Republican Party, and, and this will be mentioned later, was 95% black. <laughs> Think about that. Like, I, I can't even imagine that being the case today. I mean, obviously, with the demographic, demographic changes, that wouldn't be the case. But even having a Democratic Party, or I'm sorry, a Republican Party that was mostly black, it's almost unthinkable. But back then in Texas, that was a case. So here's another quote. Quote, in a state now controlled by white Democrats, African-Americans experimented with three options. One was involve involvement in the Republican Party. Another was an alliance with factions of Democrats or a collaboration with a third party. And one thing I want to mention about Democrats here, too, is like I said about the Republicans, there are always people trying to push back against the Republicans going the way that it did. The same is actually true of Democrats. There were Democrats who weren't down, who weren't down with segregation or, or racism and things like that. They, they may, it may have been fewer in the Democratic Party, but they did exist. So there were Black people who tried to, to link up with them to, to, to kind of promote some type of progress. Um, of course, it was difficult because at this point you had the Republican Party and the Democratic Party vying more for Southern white votes. And as you'll see, this left African-Americans feeling a little bit politically homeless. Um, the, the, the percentage of black people in Texas declined from 31% to 20% of the population between 1870 and 1900. This was largely because of the fact that the white Democrats took over. Um, quote, African-American activity in the Republican Party focused on preventing the conservative faction from gaining control and driving out blacks who in the 1880s formed 90% of the party's membership. I was wrong. It was 90%, not 95%. Uh, by attracting like-minded whites, conservative Republicans hope to compete effectively with the Democrats. Now, at this point in time, you had a black Republican leader named um, Norris Wright Cooney. Here's a picture of him. Um, and he had kind of come up through the ranks and he ended up being appointed as the president of the Galveston Union League. Now, the Union League is very interesting. I would have liked to have dove more into what that was, and maybe I will at a later point, but to put it simply, the Union League, it started out as a secret organization that was created in 1863 to support President Lincoln and to promote morale and unity among members of the Union. So these people were acting in secret to promote Lincoln's agenda as far as um, um, ending slavery. Um, now, the 1892 election proved to be a turning point for both GOP factions, so for both the Lily Whites and the Black and Tans. 
and Cooney aligned the black and tans behind uh, George. Oh, wait, no, that's not true. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So Cooney aligned the black and tans behind George Clark. Um, I guess he was a conservative Democrat, but maybe different. And his fight, and he, they promoted him in his fight against James S. Hogg. The Lily Whites nominated Andrew Jackson Houston for the governorship. Now, Andrew Jackson Houston was a son of Sam Houston, and he ended up becoming a U.S. senator. But in this election, he only received 1,322 votes in the November election. Um, so this provided a setback to Cooney and the Black and Tans because their candidate was defeated. And on top of that, uh, Grover Cleveland, who was the Democrat governor of, or I'm sorry, the, the Democrat nominee for president, he won. So that means that not only did his candidate, which would have favored the Black and Tans, was defeated, but a Democrat took office in the White House. So Cooney didn't even have any federal patronage. Um, his predecessor, I believe it was Benjamin Harrison, was very much supportive of Black involvement in the GOP. So now he lost two important uh, supporters. Um, the thing is, is that Southern Republican leaders, both Black and white, um, this is according to the Texas State Historical Association, they both relied on the on federal jobs to maintain their state organizations. So when Cooney lost out under Cleveland, this opened the door for a Lily White takeover. Um, to make matters worse, um, after Cooney was replaced as national committeeman, there was a little bit of infighting as to who would take his place. Um, but other black and tan leaders did come out. I mean, and, and he did lose and he was replaced as the, the GOP committeeman, as well as the state chairman during the 1896 campaign. Um, but still, Cooney was instrumental in pushing back against the burgeoning Lily White movement. Uh, he was a person who actually labeled them as the Lily Whites. Um, but after his death in 1897, there was an even stronger struggle among the Black and Tans over who would take his place as the head of the movement. Um, eventually, there were two major players in the Texas Republican Party, and they joined forces to push back against the, uh, the Lily Whites. Um, it was a businessman named Cecil A. Um, I'm sorry. Um, it was a man named Edward H.R. Green, who was the son of a multimillionaire. And it was a, per, it was a man named uh, William M. McDonald. Uh, his name was Gooseneck Bill. So you had William McDonald and Edward Green. Uh, one was a multimillionaire. He had a railroad empire. Uh, Gooseneck Bill was a black banker from Fort Worth. But this alliance wasn't able to stop the Lily White insurgents in the party. Um, after Green withdrew as state chairman in 1902, Cecil A. Lyon, who was a white businessman uh, from Sherman, he took control. And uh, he controlled the Texas state GOP until he died in, in 1915. But as the Texas State Historical Association notes here, quote, by 1904, Lyon was Theodore Roosevelt's agent in the state, as well as national committeeman and state chairman. Though black and tan delegations appeared in the 19, at the 19, 
1904 and the 1908 national conventions, they were pushed aside by Lyons forces. Now, to avoid criticism, one or two blacks were usually seated with lily white delegations to the national gatherings. So they did provide a little bit of cover for themselves, but the lily white agenda was very much clear. And since they had control of the party, they were able to minimize the black and tans at the conventions that occurred in 1904 and 1908. Here's another quote. The lily white Republicans appealed to racism to establish their party as a viable alternative for Southern Democrats. As a result, blacks increasingly lost influence and power in the Republican Party. The Southern Democratic leadership greatly discouraged black membership, and many blacks felt that they had no political party in which to participate. So, like I said, black people ended up being in a position where they were politically homeless. Neither party really seemed to, to want them to be involved with what they were doing. Um, let me continue here. Now, the Historical Association also notes that, that the black and tans, like I indicated earlier, they developed in different states differently throughout the South. So some started in, in the 1880s. Some didn't even show up until the 1920s. Um, now, in some states like Tennessee and Arkansas, uh, they didn't last very long. Um, but in areas like South Carolina and Mississippi, the black and tans lasted until 1960. Um, the, contentious, the contentiousness, according to the Texas State Histor Historical Association, the contentiousness between the two factions occasionally turned violent as evidenced in 1888 by a race riot that broke out in Texas when white Republicans tried to wrest party control from blacks at that year's state convention. For African-Americans, this factional co conflict came to characterize the racial power struggle over who, who would lead the party, the multiracial coalition of black and tans or the conservative lily white faction. Um, this conflict became so intense that it split the Texas GOP in half. Um, now, this happened while Theodore Roosevelt was battling with William Howard Taft for control of the Republican Party, the National Republican Party. Uh, the Lily Whites, they supported Roosevelt. They supported his Bull Moose campaign, and they wanted to turn the Republican Party into a white opposition party to the Democrats. The Black and Tans sided with William Howard Taft, and after the 1916 election, a man named Renfro B. Krieger ran for Texas governor, and he and he actually didn't win the governorship, but he became the leader of the Texas GOP. So here's how it went under him. <laughs> the quote, quote, though McDonald attempted a comeback in 1920 and proclaimed that color should predominate because 95% of all Texas Republican were Negroes. Okay, maybe they went up to 95% at that time. But to continue the, to continue the quote, 95% of all Texas Republicans were Negroes. The Lily Whites under Krieger retained firm control after the upheavals of 1912 and 1916. The Lily Whites reigned supreme under Republican presidents Warren G. Harding, Calvin Coolidge, and Herbert Hoover, despite the threats of blacks throughout the 1920s to bolt to bolt the Republican fold for the Democratic Party, and despite efforts by Republican Congressman Harry McLeary Wurzbach to court the black and tans in his fight for ascendancy with Krieger. When black and tan, fa when black and tan factions appeared at the 
at the 1920, 1924, and 1928 Republican National Conventions, they were shunted aside by Krieger and his followers. Lily White domination of the state GOP became academic through the 1930s as Texas Blacks joined the Black exodus into Democrat Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal coalition. So you can see how that went, right? They were fighting for, for their place in the Republican Party in Texas. But both people like Lyon and Krieger diminished their influence as much as possible. Um, and even though, like I, like I said at the beginning, there were plenty of people in the Republican Party who still wanted the Republican Party to maintain an important relationship with the Black community, there were more people who were fighting against it in the South. And while you might hear from the right that Black people just went to FDR because they wanted the free stuff, you can see from this passage that that wasn't true, right? I mean, what happened in reality is that a Republican Party in the South that was dominated by the Lily White movement pushed Black people into the waiting arms of the Democratic Party. So the issue wasn't the fact that Democrats just became socialists. It's just that the Republican Party didn't have anything to offer and was not interested in offering anything. So I'm just going to kind of pause right there. Like I said, it only took about 10 to 15 years for the Lily White movement to materialize and begin the process of pushing Black people out of the party. This the, the the black exodus to the Democratic Party did not start under FDR. It started under the, under the Lily White movement in the South. And you know, if you think of, if you put yourself in that position, if you put yourself in the position that Black Americans would have been in at that point, again, a lot of these people, probably most of these people, were former slaves, or at least the sons and daughters of former slaves. They knew that the Republican Party was all about Black folks. And to see that change so fast, just so that they can appeal to white Southerners, that had to be heartbreaking. I would, I would imagine that a lot of these folks didn't even want to go to the Democratic Party. But where else were they going to go? The Republicans were making it very clear that they didn't want anything to do with black people. Not all of them, again. 